who is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Fountain Hills uh, to assist and guide and counsel our call committee. So I want to invite Pastor Daly to come up. He's going to do kind of an opening devotion and prayer for us. Pastor Daly, please. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely need that. Actually, we need that because we were recording. Oh, so. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Almost said good morning. Instead, <laughs> I say good afternoon. Um, let me start off, and, and this will set a context a little bit for what we're doing today. Back in the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel, the third chapter, there's a, a very interesting event that transpires. You see, about that time, Israel was being fairly unfaithful to God. And God was being very quiet with Israel. His voice was not being heard. At the time, there was a little boy. His name was Samuel. You and I know him as the prophet and as the judge. Samuel was apprenticing in the temple. And he was staying there at night. And God came to Samuel, even as a young child. And he called out, Samuel, Samuel. Because Samuel was not used to hearing the voice of God. Samuel thought, Levi, or um, Eli, Eli, who was the high priest, was calling him. He went into Eli, and Eli said, no, it's not me. Go back to bed. It happened a second time. And the second time that Samuel came to Eli and said, you called me, Eli kind of figured out maybe this was the voice of God. And so Eli gave Samuel some really good advice. He said, if he calls again, sit there quietly and simply say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Throughout my years of ministry, I have found that it is through the collective voice of a congregation, the church all gathered together, that God makes his voice most loud and clear. You are gathering together today to hear the voice of God. You'll hear it not as God thunders and speaks, and it won't be from Bible passages. You will hear it in the conversations you hear with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I would commend you, and I would challenge you to simply do what Samuel did, and that is humbly say, as we begin this meeting, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And then listen very intently and very prayerfully to one another. Would you bow your heads with me for a word of prayer? Lord Jesus, you are Lord of the church. And we thank and praise you that you raise up shepherds who take care of your sheep and that you guide the direction and paths of all those who are called to be in service and in ministry to your church. As the members of Shepherd of the Desert gathered to determine who it is, you would have them called to be their next pastor. We pray that you give them the wisdom of your spirit. On this day of Pentecost, when we celebrate the outpouring of that spirit indeed, pour it out in abundance Let them hear, let them understand, let them appreciate the direction and guidance you are giving, and let them honor one another as they hear your voice in each other's words. We entrust them and ourselves to your care, and do so always in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Mr. Tom Englert, the president of our congregation, uh, long before the date that this meeting was set, had planned a vacation and had everything set for that. So he had to be away today, extends his greetings, his apologies for not being able to be here. But uh, Kathy Eckstein, 
uh, who also serves on the board of directors and the call committee, is going to lead the meeting today. So Kathy, we'll turn it over to you. Morning, everyone. Or no, afternoon. Darn, I did it. Good afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot, one would think if I heard that right before I stood up, I might be able to remember. But anyway, um, I am so proud to stand up in front of all of you and share the uh, backgrounds of the candidates that we have to present to you. Uh, it's been an amazing process that the call committee and the board has been involved in over the past year, and I wanted to walk you through the steps in that process because I know it probably seems like it's taken quite a bit of time to get to this point. Before we do that, though, I wanted to introduce the people that have been very heavily involved in this. Unfortunately, Andy cannot be here today. He's um, traveling with his family back to Indiana. But I owe Andy, in particular, a huge thank you. I was originally the chair of this committee, but uh, many of you know that last summer my mom fell and fractured her tailbone, and I was on quite a journey with her for two or three months, and Andy was gracious enough to step up into something that he hadn't planned to take on, but to take the lead of the call committee, and I'm very grateful to him for doing that and allowing me the focus on my mom, so he's been a huge help. If the other members of the call committee who are here could please stand, I would like to. There's Chris Doyle back there, and Courtney is over here. Oh, and Carla. So the women are here. I think the men are all gone. <laughs> <laughs> but you can see the other people, Kevin McCafferty, Brian Sawyer, uh, ben Hoppy and Keith Noblis were also all involved, and it's been quite a journey that we've had together. And then Andrew has been with us on this journey as well, and he has a unique perspective that he's been involved in all of the call committee meetings, all of the board meetings, and all of the staff meetings as they've taken place through this process. So he will probably be able to provide some very unique perspective as we have the discussion today. And then I also would like to recognize Pastor Tom, and if you could come up just for a second, I would appreciate it. Um, Pastor Tom has been with us on the journey, and as Pastor Allen uh, mentioned, he kind of picked this up because Pastor Allen could not do this as the circuit representative. And I cannot tell you how helpful he has been is making sure that we stay on the path of watching for God's guidance and being prayerful in our consideration and at various points in time has just added perspective that has been so helpful to the process. So we really thank you very much, and this is just a small little token of our appreciation. Thank you. Okay, so I wanted to walk you through the process because it has been a journey. And as I said, I imagine many people are thinking, um, we started this a year ago, what has taken so long? So let's talk about what took so long. We actually were counseled early on in this process by Reverend Stottero, right, yes, uh, from the district to take our time and to assume that this would be a 12 to 18 month process, the journey that we were on, and that we needed to spend considerable time up front understanding the congregation's views, what they saw as the needs, and then developing a very thoughtful profile of the job description and a candidate characteristics that we felt were very important to do 
So we did go through that journey, um, and that really took us through October. We did a, a congregational study. Um, many of you responded to a survey that we had taken, and then we developed the job description and characteristics so that by the end of the year, we were ready to embark on the search process. And so at that point, we asked for nominations from the congregation. We received 19 in total between the congregation as well as nominations that came from the district. And that began then the screening process or the discernment process, I guess I'll call it. So um, nine of the nominees were removed either by the district or when the call committee took a look at the, um, the profiles and it was just clear that they did not meet the characteristics or the requirements that we had for the job. So at that point then we were left with 10 candidates. We had seven external candidates and our three pastors, including Pastor Bill, were included in the mix. We started with a half hour phone interview with each of the external candidates to do our preliminary, preliminary screening. And we also had more informal conversations with each of our pastors. Figured we didn't really need to interview them, we know them well, but just to talk to them about their views about the direction of the church, what they saw as the needs and such like that. After that process, we had seven candidates, our three internal and four external, that remained in the mix. Um, our internal candidates continued their own prayerful discernment about this, and we embarked with the external candidates in um, about an hour, hour and a half long Skype interview with each of them. We talked to them and narrowed that down from four down to three candidates that we invited to our campus for in-person visit. Um, unfortunately, one of those candidates, there was a very long uh, standing uh, staff member that passed during this process and he removed himself from consideration feeling that it would be a very disruptful time for his church if he left. So we had had two candidates that came. The process here was very extensive. We had a dinner with each of the two candidates the night before where all of the uh, leadership, the staff leadership from the church and school as well as the board of directors and their wives and the call committee, or their wives and husbands, sorry. You would think I wouldn't make that slip. <laughs> um, as well as the uh, call committee and their spouses were invited to that. So we all got to see them and their um, wives, or in one case their um, uh, fiance in a more informal uh, social setting. Then the next day began with a breakfast with Tom Englert and one of the board members. And then we had a tour of both campuses for them. And then we had an hour and a half long, relatively intense interview with some members of the board of directors and call committee. And then they spent an equal amount of time with the leadership of the church and school, in, uh, getting to know each other and asking each other questions. And through that, these two candidates both came through as very strong um, candidates to consider for our call. So um, we also did leadership profiles on both of those um, with a consultant who took us through them. And that was not to decide, it wasn't as part of the screening, but it was more to get to know them and to understand what their strengths might be in areas where they may need additional support coming into the process or into the role. 
Um, and then uh, we also communicated the background information to the congregation on each of those candidates, and we're here today to have the call, uh, to, to the discussion about the two candidates. From here, um, we will all prayerfully think about this until the 23rd, and at that point, we'll have a congregational vote. I do want to comment that through this whole process, it's been very clear that God's hand has been involved, and it's just been an amazing process from that perspective. Um, it, at points in time, the call committee you know, stopped and prayed in the meetings and asked for God's guidance. And it was clear, even as this um, narrowing down process has taken place, that it was really God's leadership that was guiding this. Um, the call committee heard, and I think the board has heard what, what we believe God's direction to be. But it's been an amazing process to be part of just because of watching the workings of God's hand throughout it. So it's, uh, hope, I'm confident he will continue to guide us as we make the final decision. So I want to introduce the two candidates that we have. One is Pastor uh, Jim Henkel. He's the senior pastor right now at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Pacific um, Beach, California. And then it, the second is Reverend Dr. Scott Seidler, who is currently senior pastor at Concordia Lutheran Church and School in St. Louis. So you can see both of them have schools and experience with schools, and they're both senior pastors now at their congregations. So first, let's look more in depth at Pastor Henkel. Hopefully you had a chance to read the profiles that were sent out that went into a lot more detail about him, but just at a high level. From a family perspective, he um, is divorced. He has two children. Um, he is currently engaged to a kindergarten teacher in the Valley at Christ Lutheran, and their intent is to very quickly uh, be married, so he will be settled into a, uh, a married family situation. His education, he got his pre-seminary at Concordia in Irvine, and then went to seminary in Cor Concordia and St. Louis. Um, he's spent the pr uh, predominance of his career at St. Paul's, um, and you can see that he was elevated into more senior positions along the way. And he's also on the board of regents at Concordia Irvine. So let's look at Pastor Scott Seidler. He also, he is married, his wife is Renee. They have three children. Um, one, I believe, just graduated from college and the other one is um, two or three years into college, and then he's got a son that is in uh, middle school. Um, you can see that he went to uh, Missouri State uh, University for his BA, seminary at St. Louis, and then he is a doctorate. Um, so he has, uh, uh, he's got a higher level of education than Pastor Henkler, Henkel. And then you can see his called positions, which I don't need to run through, but um, he has moved to several churches and um, increased in responsibility and scope along the way. So if I could move to our recommendation. Um, both the board and the call committee, as well as the staff, are you united in their recommendation to the congregation of Pastor Seidler. Um, to be clear, we believe both of them are fabulous candidates, and both could serve the church and the school very well. But we think that for a few reasons, Pastor Seidler is the one that's intended for this call. Um, 
he is fully aligned with our doctrine and our beliefs, and Hankel, Pastor Henkel is as well. But he has much more experience in larger churches. His church today worships 1,000 on a given weekend. They have a 3,000 um, membership. And so he's just more experienced in dealing in a complex organization. And he's also dealt with the more political world, call it, of being right next door to the uh, St. Louis Concordia, um, um, the head of the, ch uh, the church, I don't know what it's called. The what? Oh, the Senate, I should know that, sorry. Um, he's a very strong leader. He's made a lot of changes through his ministry at the church and has continued to grow that church. Um, he's got a very engaged and involved spouse. It was very clear from the dinner that she's going to be a strong participant in the ministry at the church and has exhibited that at the church that they're currently at. And he's also got the benefit of being extremely experienced in policy governance. In fact, he is taught on policy governance. So he thinks, we believe that he will be very well suited as we migrate into that form of governance for the church. So that, it's, that's, that is our recommendation. And I would like to invite both Pastor Allen and Pastor Jeremy to say a few words as well at this stage. If I could just okay. use my mic here. I'll give that to you. Um, yeah, I, I truly believe both of these men are, are great candidates, uh, really good guys. And uh, I've known Pastor Hankel for almost 20 years and have high regard for him both personally and professionally, but I really feel that Pastor Seidler is the best choice for us uh, for the reasons that were stated earlier, uh, but some of the key things that stand out for me is he not only leads a larger church and has a vision of what a large church looks like and how to make that work, he also has a very large school that goes from age infant through eighth grade and knows how to lead a church with a school. And I just think he brings a tremendous amount of uh, leadership ability as well as being very personable. Uh, I, I, I would enjoy working with him. So I, I'm going to be voting for Pastor Seidler. I'll echo those same comments. And uh, with that, it's interesting being here today. So it, it's exactly 14 months to the day today that we've been vacant without a senior pastor. Uh, interesting that we get together today, too, on this Pentecost Sunday to be able to take Pastor Tom's comments of being able to be filled with the Spirit and be able to make these steps forward. Uh, when the call team put out these elements that were taken from our congregation, uh, they were significant to be able to say, these qualifications that they came up with. Uh, you would be hard-pressed to find a couple handfuls of gentlemen within the United States that are pastors that fit these qualifications. Uh, Scott not only fits these, but he also exceeds them on a very high level. Uh, I think this will be a great opportunity, not only for Shepherd, but also for Pastor Seidler and for his family as well. Uh, I think Alan and I and the call team could share with you for an hour about why we would be linked up together uh, so well in the Lord. But without further ado, I will say the same thing as my colleague, Alan, and say, uh, please join me here on the 23rd. Bring some more people. It would be great to pack every one of these seats and uh, join us in voting for Pastor Seidler, please. 
Okay, so at this point, I would like to open up for questions. Oh, next steps. I skipped a slide, sorry. Um, I think I talked through most of this, but we will on the 23rd have the uh, meeting. Um, I do ask that all of you prayerfully consider this before then and ask for God's guidance in the vote. Once we issue the call, which would be pretty much immediately after that meeting on the 23rd, we go through the district in order to do that. At that point, then, uh, Pastor Seidler or Pastor Henkel would be invited to prayerfully consider the call. And it's a little bit open-ended how long someone has to prayerfully consider that. And part of that, obviously, is God's hand at work in helping him and his uh, family arrive at the appropriate decision about the call. But we are hoping that, uh, and all indications are, that both of these candidates are extremely interested in the opportunities. So we are optimistic that whichever one we end up extending the call to, that um, there's a strong likelihood that God's hand will guide them to accept the call, but we all need to be praying for that as well, and we're hoping that by the end of summer, we would have our next senior pastor in place. Okay, yeah. Well, he is at a point, he's been in his current church for 12 or 13 years, I believe, and he has expressed that he is at the point where he's looking for his next um, challenge and where he's going to expend the next 13 to 14, 15 years of his ministry. He also has some ties in the valley and is interested to come here. He's very good friends with some of the other pastors in the valley, and um, I think he feels some call. And he loves golf, so. <laughs> yeah, he can play. Um, am I on? Okay. Uh, as you've already mentioned, both pastors are fully aware of the Carver governance, right? Yes. Are both of them operating under that governance right now? And for that matter, how long? Well, Pastor Seidler has been for uh, quite some time, and like I said, he even teaches on policy governance, so he's very well equipped as we move into this. Pastor Hinkle has been operating more in a, a policy um, policy-based governance. So it's not quite as pure as Carver policy, but it's very close. And he's very well aware of what policy, what Carver governance is, and understands how it works, and, and we believe can pick it up and institute it. Um, because it's sort of a close thing with the policy-based, it's just not exact. But that was one of the screening criteria we used for all candidates, was that we felt they could operate in the new model. Thank you. When I reviewed Pastor Seidler's, some of his sermons and some of his background, I had a sort of a concern that it appeared to me that he might be quite authoritarian. And there is a fine line between being a leader and being authoritarian. Since you did have the questionnaire and did review that, was that an area that was addressed when you, were cons when you considered that, and did that prove to be possible, or did that prove that, that's not, that that was not likely? 
interestingly enough, the profiles of both of the candidates were almost identical. Um, and no, that, that doesn't, they're both very relational. And so it, it does not appear that that would be an issue in his leadership style. And certainly in, through this whole process, that was not a sense that we got that that would be a problem. I've asked this question of Andrew before, and I was just wondering, um, I'm going to be out of town, and I would really like to vote, and I've talked to a number of people that also are going to be out of town, and uh, wouldn't it be good if the majority were voting for this? I mean, it's pretty important. Andrew, do you want to take that one? Sure, sure. We'll, we'll inform everybody of my response last time. So, uh, you know, this, uh, the whole idea of proxy voting was actually a, a key discussion among the board themselves, who many members are sitting here in front. Um, and actually, in our initial version of the Constitution, it was included. So that was the intent. However, uh, when we brought that Constitution to the outside attorney, the one item that they were very crystal clear on, don't do, is include proxy voting. And the reason being is um, when, you, when you heard his in, uh, understanding of, and guidance, it really made sense. And that was that to his knowledge, and that was his own words, to his knowledge, there is no nonprofit in the state of Arizona that actually allows proxy voting. And the reason being is unlike a corporation who has certain reporting requirements to disseminate information in advance. Um, the majority of pragmatic, practical, relevant discussion on a vote actually occurs the day of the vote. Now, um, that was his guidance and ultimately the board reviewed that guidance and accepted it. And thus the reason is not in our constitution. Um, and, I'm, and I'm assuming that if you reflect back as yourselves and participating in those meetings, you would, you would probably reflect and say, how could I have voted without all the information? Because typically that's, that's what happens. So that is the reason why we do not have uh, proxy voting um, as an organization. So. <coughs> and also somebody then said to me, well, why don't we have the vote? later, like in the fall, and, and I think that we all know the answer to that. We're on God's timing, and uh, just one more, please. Uh, I don't know if this is on a line or not, but both of these gentlemen have been here. They've seen our campus. They know our situation. They know that our school is non-existent at this moment. Did they share those any thoughts or concerns about that and what they would do about it? Well, we have been very open with the candidates in terms of the challenges and the situation, both at the, in the church and the school. Um, we had high-level discussions on preliminary thoughts as to what they may do, but I think it's premature to expect that um, they would have a strong point of view until they come and really understand in depth what the dynamics are and the various, uh, do a thorough assessment of the needs of the area and the, and the church and the school and, and come up with a firm plan then. 
Um, both of them did, they both have tremendous heart for Lutheran education. And that was a very strong requirement as well, that we screen for all of the candidates. But they both also talked about some of the challenges for Lutheran schools, particularly in environments where there are strong charter schools and other alternatives that offer very strong and good education for free. And so how do you really have a, a strong value proposition that warrants the tuition that is necessary that, that be charged and just taking it slowly to do a thorough assessment of the environment and understand what you need to offer at the school in order to compete and, and be viable in an environment. So, uh, you know, we, we believe that they all both have strong heart for a school, but they will also proceed in a manner that is prudent for us as an organization as we move forward. And I'll just expand on two points. And, and one is a little coaching of all of us, and that is is that uh, your, your initial statement was not accurate. We do have a school. We have a very vibrant preschool, and I, and I, and I just bring it up because it's a reminder, you know, because that was actually something that they were very impressed with. Having almost 200 children in a preschool environment is impressive. You know, both of them were impressed with that fact. And especially since we actually even have limited kids. We don't go all the way from infants. So they saw it as opportunity and a foundation. So let's, let's make that clear. And number two, which I thought was really interesting, is that they immediately, you know, they said everything Kathy just restated. But then they went into reminding us as the interviewers that, you know, the school is, is a means to get to the ends that we want, but it's not the only means. You know, there are other ways to bring children into our environment to provide them with the knowledge of Jesus and help them in that growth. And it doesn't necessarily depend on an elementary school being in existence. So they were very forceful in reminding us of that. So that was a takeaway too. Um, not, not with the precision of detail that you may request, but I know most of that's online, but I will, I will talk high level. They are two very different situations. You, you look at Pastor Hinkle's, you know, it's a kind of a soul school situation, meaning that they have a preschool and a day school, very similar to what we were facing, right? Right around 110 students in the elementary school, right around 50, 60 kids in their preschool, one of the comments that he was very quick to highlight is that his uh, geography, and when I'm saying he has the word Pastor Hinkle, right? So what he was talking about is that his geography is a little challenging. You know, he's at a beach town. There, the, the ability to have the younger uh, families that have the kids has transitioned, right? What once was a very vibrant, small beach town has turned into a second home community, which has changed some of the dynamics there over time, so that was one element. He was also quick to highlight that um, the ministry as a whole was challenged by the school because uh, it was taking funds. Uh, they were sacrificing an associate pastor. They were sacrificing other services to make the school work. Um, 
and it is in essence a topic every year on you know how do they go forward right and it is year to year so that is a that's their situation pastor uh, Seidler's much different you know in fact his his situation is that um, his school is actually a, a part of a greater school system that all feeds because we're you know, in St. Louis, we're talking about multiple Lutheran congregations. Literally, as he said, you go four miles in any direction and you're at another large Lutheran con- uh, um, school, or excuse me, church. And in fact, the way their school is set up is they collaborate, right? So it's a multi-congregational school support structure where uh, one of our questions was, what do you do to harvest um, you know, seekers out of your school. And he said, well, you know, it's a very unique situation because most of them already have come to faith. They are in the, this Lutheran network and we actually have a general rule is we don't sheep steal, right? Because they're already probably part of another congregation. So again, different dynamics, but to go back to what Kathy said, there is no doubt in my mind that um, they are ingrained in Lutheran education you know, and their desires and support and commitment to that remain very high. So, but school-wise, sorry, on the Seidler side, we're, we're talking about a large school. I don't even know if, if you put everything together because uh, of the way it works. But Pastor Seidler is actually uh, right now uh, in the final phase of a $9 million um, uh, capital building campaign specific to the school. Um, they're just finishing up. They'll open the doors in August. Well, you can speak for a lot of us. (laughs) Um, It was something that we spoke to every candidate about in every interview um, and asked um, for their thoughts on the importance of that and how they would cultivate um, the programs. Um, I'm trying to remember specifics from either of them, and I'm not sure. Well, I, I think I can help answer it in, in a kind of a roundabout way. And the roundabout way is that, I mean, from a school, let me first deal with the first direct question. I mean, that comment that I was just making about them saying the school is a means, I was trying to allude to what you're highlighting, which is, is that just um, with or without a school, you still have to do other things. Right, and that'll be a task task at hand. But what I thought was was really interesting about both candidates is their general awareness of denominational churches, Lutheran churches as a whole, knowing what we're facing. We are facing uh, becoming irrelevant, right? And we're facing becoming irrelevant because if we stand on our hill and tell people to come and hope that that's the only way they're going to come, 
is going to be a fallacy of ours, not the people that we're asking to come. You know, what their general statement was is that we have to come to them. We have to meet them at their needs. We have to develop things that are relevant for them. We need to help those that don't know that they need the help um, by putting things in their path um, to get their attention, right? You know, somebody asked me the other day about, you know, visiting the church, you know, when we get our first visitor in the church, and I quickly correct them, kind of like my school statement, well, they're not going to visit us first here physically. They're going to visit us in the virtual world first. So how do we entice them in the virtual world to take the time, which is extremely valuable, right? Take the time to come into our world and participate, right? So I guess that's, that was interesting too, hearing them knowing what we're facing. Their commitment couldn't be higher. Look at what they've dedicated their lives to, just like our pastors, just like our ministry staff. But to, again, sit on the hill and expect them to come isn't going to be good enough. Yeah, and the other thing, too, is that both of them talked about the importance of cultivating relationships with the school parents and having them comfortable and, you know, even having a presence every day at the preschool or at the school and, and getting conversationally to get to know each of them and viewing that as part of the ministry as well to bring uh, children into the church. So I have a little bit of an interesting perspective on the conversation with specifically Pastor Seidler in this regard. Um, he had actually opened the door on that specific conversation in his interview. Um, and I'm, I'm providing input because I'm serving on the, currently on the DCE call committee right now. And so it's kind of an interesting topic to speak with, with Dr. Seidler about that. Um, he, he specifically mentioned DCE and youth development not being a DCE necessarily responsibility, that there's a vertical alignment with the youth throughout the entire organization, and it needs to be from senior pastor, associate pastor, DCE, volunteers. It needs to be a more robust relationship with the youth, and it needs to be more well-developed across the entire leadership of the church specifically so that DCEs, which are, uh, I don't want to say inherently transient, because that's probably, a, a, that's probably not doing them justice, but it is not a position with necessarily a lot of, of very long-term longevity, that DCEs come and DCEs go. So you can't have this empty gap. You can't have this void to have to fill when you lose youth leadership within the church. So this alignment throughout the entire organization for the youth benefit is to provide that stability to develop the program and to make sure that there's continuity of it throughout the relationships so that there is never a void for the youth. There a specific what I don't I just remember that as being one of the points that 
No, no, we did. We did. You're right. And it was as part of the discussion around the, the profiles that were done on each of them. The reason I'm just looking sort of blank is that I'm not sure I remember it well enough to specifically comment on it. And the intent was more that it would be used for discussion. And all of the staff, the senior staff has taken it at this point, and we felt it would be very beneficial as whoever the new senior pastor comes in to be able to talk with each of the staff members about his own strengths and theirs and how we fill in for each other. But I, I, Mary, I just don't remember the specifics enough to be able to address that. I don't know if anybody else does. Okay. There was nothing glaring, no. No, in fact, if there was anything what, that was neat about the assessments is that these two gentlemen filled gaps that currently exist. That was the nice thing. You know, there was a profile, like, for example, that was, we call it the Builder 10. Has 10 specific traits. When uh, our uh, Peggy Zills is the person that helped facilitate it, she, um, she did our summary, and eight of the 10 were represented in the existing staff. Well... What was interesting is the two missing ones, were, one was the top one for Pastor Seidler and one was the top one for Pastor Hinkle, for example, which is kind of neat to see where they could slot in and bring a skill that is not present today. have to be honest, when I read the, the, um, the biographies of the candidates, after I read um, Dr. Seidler's, I thought, wow, this guy's really qualified. Maybe overqualified went through my mind. Is he still in a building mode? Or, I mean, to be honest, I thought, is he looking to take it down? I mean, you look at the resources that man deals with every day, the qualifications of his staff, my goodness. I mean, not that we don't deserve the best and the most educated and the most spiritual and all that good stuff, but I thought to myself, is this guy looking to take it down or is he still in a building mode and is looking for another challenge? I... I believe in my heart, and I would ask anybody else to pipe in, that it's definitely the latter. He is extremely dynamic and enthusiastic. I can tell you, um, you know, I have been one of the primary contacts for each of these candidates, and he has been extremely proactive in follow-up and, you know, touching base periodically to understand what's going on, providing additional information that we may find useful. I think he's just looking for the next challenge and is very much still in the builder mode and excited to move on to what's next in his calling with the church. But I, didn't, I have never gotten the impression that he's looking to step it down. I don't yeah. If he were 64 years old, we might wonder about that. But he's, what, it's 48, I believe, something like that. And, yeah, he is very energetic and I think he sees this as, a, as an opportunity and a challenge because the, the difficulties that we've had, that it is an opportunity for growth. And so he would bring that kind of energy. I'm convinced of that. Hi, my name is Lejeune. And I was wondering when we both on the 23rd and we vote for Pastor A, and maybe by chance he decided not to come. 
then do we automatically um, accept Pastor B, or do we start from scratch? We have been instructed that we start from scratch. That, no? Well, I, I, I want to define scratch here in a second, but go ahead. Okay, but we, we have been told, and I think Pastor Tom could pipe in on this as well, as way more of an expert than me, but we were told that if we issue a call and the call is turned down, that we in essence start over. Now, we have done a tremendous amount of work and obviously we would have a head start because we have a job description and a profile, but you don't automatically offer it to candidate B if candidate A says no. Yeah, and that's the key thing. So the scratch part was the key. But, you know, all the investment of the survey and the input and the job description and all the things that the, the current call team has done will be utilized. But, you know, as we discussed the other day with an, um, about this item is that, you know, we took nominations in December all the way through January, right? And then we closed nominations. Time has passed. And... You know, if, if God is wishing a different conclusion than the one that has come, then God may know something in regards to another candidate being available, meaning that between February 1st and sometime past June 23rd, there could be another candidate out there that still fits all of our needs that has now become available or the desire has been placed in his heart to become available. So... That's the, that's the reality of the, the process. Yeah, and this is a synodical protocol, too. This is not something that's determined by our congregational leadership. It, it's a synodical protocol on how you do calls. You don't just automatically go to choice B. Um, uh, like, as Andrew said, yeah, there may be other men that have become available in the meantime. And so, yes, from that perspective, you start the... Uh, process of gathering names over again. Tom, did you want to add anything more to that? Uh, I think you said it well. Okay. okay. Was there anything in particular, any one thing or several things that made you decide for Pastor Seidler versus Pastor Henkel? But um, it's really the things that I hit on a little bit ago. He is much more experienced with a larger congregation. Um, Pastor Henkel worships around 300 a weekend, and Pastor Seidler worships about 1,000, so it's a much bigger congregation. Um, we believe he probably understands complexity and how to manage a larger organization a, a, a little bit better. He's got a larger staff for example, than Pastor Henkel does. Um, and he's just, um, because of the doctorate, a little more experienced, and we believe he can bring a, a more perspective to the job. That being said, we believe both candidates could do a good job for Shepherd of the Desert, but we just believe that Pastor Seidler is um, more qualified to fit the, fit the role. Yeah, I was just wondering, um, do either of them have split campuses like ours where you have a split generational kind of situation we do? And what's your thoughts on that of bringing things together and growing close to campuses? 
Neither of them do have a multi-campus situation right now, but we have talked about some of the, challenge the challenges that we faced and how they would bring a, more of a sense of unity between the two campuses. And both of them have very strong ideas on how to do that, um, including making sure that they, as the senior pastor, have a very strong presence themselves at both camp campuses and are well known on both. Um, but we have been very open that there are some challenges with creating a sense of unity between the two, and that would be something that we very much would like them to be aware of and to be prepared to come with solutions on how to bring the two together more closely. I think a, a compliment to that comment is that um, they also recognize the boldness that Shepherd has taken to have two campuses and to ultimately reach a younger generation. You know, it was, uh, if Tom Englert was here, it was a comment that he made just recently at the board meeting when the, the, this own assessment was going on, which was looking at attendance and looking at, at growth. And, um, and one of the comments that was, was noticed is that, you know, when you look at the macro Lutheran attendance, it's going down. When you look even at these two churches, they've faced an attendance going down. We too have faced an attendance going down for a variety of reasons. But uh, the one that's different is it's not because of the lack of young folk trying to participate, which is a key difference. And uh, um, they believe it's an opportunity. I think that's the key, right? You know, and it's um, what I also took away was that they're prepared to take the, the leadership and evaluate what is the path forward that's going to ultimately lead to uh, the best solution for our owners and the most respectful and uh, thing we can do for God. On the matter of the uh, uh, having a and, and if, if do we start from scratch? I've been in a congregation where they, they make the call immediately after the meeting and ask the, the selected pastor if he uh, will, will consider the call. Is that part of our plan? Yeah, and that's exactly what happens. And I'm sorry, I probably didn't say that very clearly. Um, that we asked that they would, because we're actually planning to contact them the day before the, the, session, the meeting on the 23rd, just to confirm one more time with each of them that they're still willing to consider the call. Um, so we will know that coming into the, session, uh, the uh, service on the 23rd, Thank you. and then we will issue that. But so far, both of them have continued to express strong interest. One of the things I'm interested in, and I participated here, a little bit when Pastor John was here, and that's on the subject of outreach. Have you discussed with both of these candidates outreach, and did you receive any ideas on how, what programs or what they had offered in terms of outreach and bringing in new members to the church? Well, I think, uh, you know, I'd, uh, so the first answer is no, there was no specifics of what they would do at Shepherd. And the reason being is that they're both 
strong leaders that actually don't assume that they already know the answer and they're candid about that. They want to come experience the church for who we are today. They want to listen to you as owners about who we want the church to be tomorrow and they want to build the appropriate programs to do that. You listen to each of them and they will tell you about stories about what they have done at their current congregations and what I thought was fascinating is that they were different at different times of the ministry because the environment around them was evolving, which I think was an indicator for the board and the call committee that these are dynamic individuals that don't have a predisposed solution. They are coming with an open mind and a heart for God to ultimately deliver something for Shepherd, and most importantly, not only to those that we know and are are in this room, but more importantly to those that are outside that don't know, again, of Christ, of Shepherd, and the things that we can do. Wonderful that uh, Dr. Seibert uh, uh, just uh, bridled uh, two great professions, the medical and education, and uh, drawing from two wonderful resources. And uh, also, uh, is it fair to assume, though, that the focus, time, and attention primarily will be geared towards the education and perhaps, you know, the community, too, sure. at large. Sure. Um, well, let me, let me clarify one, one point, and it's probably our fault. We weren't very clear on what his doctorate is in. Uh, his do- doctorate in, is in homiletics, right? The ability to basically deliver a message. And um, so he is not a medical physician. Oh. He's, his oh, doctorate okay. is in... Bridal's another field also. Yes. So, well, that's wonderful. Yes. You know, that adds to the focus. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you, Pastor Jeremy. Could I ask you to close us in prayer? Uh-oh. We put her to sleep. Serve as a pillow on the weekends, too. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be here today. Uh, What a great time to have your spirit just working in, with, and through us here at Shepherd. Uh, Lord, we pray for both of these candidates, for their congregations, and just for your church as a whole. Uh, Lord, just open up our eyes and our hearts to what your will truly is, uh, your good, pleasing, and perfect will. We know that with you at the helm, uh, we can never go wrong. Uh, We pray that this will be an opportunity to strengthen us even further. Again, not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of your mission and your ministry. Uh, Continue to strengthen your people here at Shepherd, Lord, as we have that privilege and honor of being able to lead your people to follow your son. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you.